Well, we're going to continue this morning this series we've been working through. So if you, uh, hey, look at that. Look at that. Like sometimes like, like some of you like, I, I know you hear me because you head to the seat. And then some of you like, I can see you like turn and look and just continue on. I'm not sure what to do with that when that happens. But uh, it's okay. It's okay. I'm glad you guys came. I'm glad you're here today because, uh, you know, this is Memorial Day. We're missing, gosh, I, you know, just a ton of families that I know are gone. And, and that family time is so important. I'm glad they're able to do it. But I'm glad you're here uh, because we're going to continue through this series this morning. And I really believe that in the, in the life of our church, as, as uh, the Lord has progressed us and put us on this journey that's in front of us, uh, we've already seen that this is a journey of challenge. It's a journey of spiritual growth. Um, but I think it's a, a journey also that, uh, that is prodding us to step out of comfort zones in different areas. See, you can be challenged within your comfort zone and be pushed in your comfort zone. And then there's something about like taking us out of our comfort zone and saying, hey, I want you to be a part of this. And I think God is doing that. And I think this morning's message kind of speaks into that. Um, can I just uh, pave a little road for you here? The next three weeks, we're going to continue the God I Wish You New series, and it will finish on June 14th. And then we lead into Father's Day, which will uh, be a morning we kind of celebrate dads uh, that day. But in the next three weeks, I'm going to shift after this week, and I'm going to be shifting the next three weeks to really not talking to you. And what I mean by that is our focus the next three weeks in this God I Wish I Knew series is for your coworkers. It's for your family. It's for your neighbors. It's for the people you know in your life that at your core, what you really would like to see, you would like to see them know God the way you know God. So the next three weeks, that's the focus. Um, and, and that's kind of the target audience. So I want to encourage you this way already as we're talking through this week's message I want you to already let God be speaking to you. Who is it? Who is it he's drawing you to? For some of you, just the very idea of thinking, gosh, God wants me to use, use me to reach somebody else, that alone pushes you out of your comfort zone. But I want to encourage you in that area, and we'll walk through this uh, this week. If, if this morning uh, you brought um, this business item, your lot box, if you have that, make sure you drop that off. But if you didn't... Um, I know John would love to make himself available all week long, right, John, uh, to receive uh, your lot box. Remember, we're trying to do 15 boxes this month. So if you're like, yeah, I forgot about getting to the store, it's simple. Half hour grocery shop, you'll get all your stuff. It'll cost you somewhere around 20, 25 bucks, and you can uh, um, fill up one of those boxes and send them. If you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Tom, just use your communication card, write lot box on it, and we'll tell you all about it. And uh, you can join us for that. So uh, Steve Carter was uh, preaching one time, and this was a teaching pastor at a previous church that my family was involved in. And I remember him telling the story of the first time he went to the Middle East. Now, I've never been, but the first time he went to the Middle East, he went with this contingency that was part of the Jimmy Carter Center for Peace. So they invited a bunch of these pastors and community leaders to go over to the Middle East. And so he went to be a part of a series of meetings and so he was part of this small group uh, from the U.S., and while they were there, they actually put him up into this hotel called the American Colony, and um, that's the name of the hotel. It was a, a, a little uh, place, and so they got all checked in. They got, he got his room key, and as he headed to his room, he noticed that there was somebody standing in front of his room, a very official-looking person standing there, and as he walked up to his door with his key, 
The person said, uh, good afternoon, Mr. Carter. Is there anything I can do for you? And he was a little thrown by that. We don't often have that in our hotels, right? And he said, no, I'm, I'm okay, thank you. And he went into his hotel room, and when he went into his hotel room, he was amazed to look and to see this place. I mean, this place was enormous, massive room, like a suite-style room. Things that, you know, when you watch movies and you see the high rollers in these, that's the kind of room he's in. He said there was about five flat panel TVs just across the wall, and there was a bathroom on either side of this, this room that he was in, a huge bed, and the bed was like rounded off. I, I don't know what the reason would that be, but uh, that's the kind of room that he went into. He was just amazed by it. So he put his stuff in and checked in, and as he started out, the person by the door, still standing there, said, do you need any assistance, Mr. Carter? <laughs> No, I'm, I'm okay. Not sure how to take that and went on. And he got together with his other contingency that came from the U.S. And he said, what is your guys' room like? Uh, do you have like two bathrooms and flat panel TVs? Is, and they're like, no. Is there anyone standing by your door asking if they can serve you? And no, we have like, like uh, you know, like a bed and a phone book um, is about what we have. So he goes back to his room later on and and the guy says, hey, is there anything I can get for you, Mr. Carter? He's like, I don't know, a towel maybe? I don't, what, what do you say to somebody? Then it hit him. They thought Pastor Steve Carter was Jimmy Carter's grandson. And he was getting this type of incredible treatment because he carried the name of a former president. Well, that's really like what we're talking about. That's the whole focus this morning is the benefits of of a name, the benefits of a name. And we just want to talk about this, that how in biblical times, and it's different from us today, in biblical times, a name was a big, big deal. It was a a big deal. Have you ever like stopped in the Walmart and flipped through one of the little name books that they have for for parents that are having babies, and, and it has a name and a meaning of a name and that kind of stuff? Yeah, exactly. We don't even take the time to stop and look at those. But in biblical times, it's a big deal. A name is about character. A, a name's about destiny. A name is about calling. Uh, it was very well thought through. My mom, I mean, she looked at me, and she thought of one of her favorite characters on As the World Turns, and so I was. And that's how it came. No, I'm not joking. Like, I mean, literally, this is the guy uh, I was named after here. Yeah. Thomas Christopher, character on As the World Turns. That's me right there. So... I guess, you know, pretty handsome looking guy at his, I don't know. But that, that's, that's how it worked. But in biblical times, I mean, they are praying and they are discerning over this name. A name's a big deal. There's character, there's calling, there's destiny all associated with a name. Now, you might remember the Ten Commandments. Last year, we walked through this series called Ten, and if you, if you remember this, uh, and it's available on our website if you want to look through it, if you missed some of those. But the third commandment, it's found in Exodus chapter 20. Do you remember verse 7 says this? You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Now, I want to kind of break this down a little bit, and I want to help you understand what the Hebrew community would have thought of when they read and they respected this verse. But in order to do that, I need to take you a few chapters back to Exodus chapter 3. It's a story of a bush that catches on fire. And if you remember, Moses is living out in the wilderness for years after he had murdered an Egyptian soldier, right? And uh, 
he's tending his flock really at the time when God appears to him in the form of this burning bush and he suggests to him that he go back to Egypt where he fled from and that he asked Pharaoh to let all of God's people go free. So there's this exchange between God, uh, the bush, and Moses here where Moses shares with the bush all the reasons why he cannot do this. God rebuffs those reasons. Then we get this final attempt from Moses to uh, really to bow out of this expedition. Verse 13, here's what he says. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And Moses just says, God, what's your name? What's your name? It's kind of like a normal greeting we do for one another when we meet somebody for the first time. You see, every god in in Egyptian culture, that's where Moses grew up, every god had a name. Every god. There was the god of fertility, god of security, god of wealth, the god of, of health, god of agriculture, thousands of gods in that day. And they believed that like every single one of these gods had their own like zip code or their own jurisdiction where they staked claim over and they had rule. But this God, he's out in the desert. He's talking to a former murderer. He's talking through a bush, right? And he's saying, with authority, I want you to go back to the most powerful kingdom in the world, and I want you to go to the most powerful person in that kingdom, and I want you to tell them, let all your slaves go. So it makes sense. That Moses would ask, well, who might I tell him is sending me? And God says, I am who I am. Do you know what that would be understood in Hebrew culture, how they would translate it? There's really no one perfect way. Here's a few that scholars have come up with. I will be who I will be. I'm the ground of your being. I'm truth. I am all reality. In short, God is saying, my name is I am. Now, in Hebrew, I am who I am, it's made up of three Hebrews letters. You may know this already, yod, hey, vag, and hey. Now, you throw in a few vowels into that, and you get a name that you might be familiar with, the name Yahweh, Yahweh. Now, that's the holiest name, the holiest name to God's people. Now, you see, uh, if you ever listen to uh, old-school Christian radio, maybe you might, uh, every once in a while, there might be a song that comes on. It's something like, you know, Yahweh, Yahweh, you know that uh, old little song? Yeah, some of you don't even know it. Um, No Hebrew would ever sing that song. No no Hebrew would sing that song. And in fact, if, if it was sung, even in their presence, they would just be like, whoa, you know, the roof's about to cave in. This is terrible. We can't do this. No Hebrew would sing such a song. So when they read this verse that we just read from the Ten Commandments, to not misuse the name of the Lord your God, they so respected this verse that they even interpreted it to mean never speak the name of Yahweh. Never speak the name. Not because they wanted to be legalistic here, but because they had such passion and respect for who God was and what his command said. They thought that if they spoke it, they might in some way do it injustice, even if unintentional. So what they did was they created another name that they would use, and it was like a name that would reference Yahweh, but it wouldn't actually 
say the word. So the name uh, they created for God is this word, Hashem. And you know what it's literally translated into? The name. That's, that's a literal translation, best English translation there, the name. So in your English translations, when you look in the Old Testament, over and over and over in the Old Testament, you'll see passages that say the name, the name, the name. It's kind of like a, a little game. We can't say the name Yahweh, but we can say the name, and it refers to Yahweh. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're even asking it in your head right now. Is that what God was really intending by his commandment? Is that what God really meant there to not misuse his name men to actually never, ever even say the name of God? Was there more to it? Now, I researched this this week, and I actually really had a good time looking through this. And, you know, I learned that the word to not take, and we find in the commandment, it really means to carry, to carry. So he's saying there, don't carry the name of God. Don't carry the name of God in a way that's vain, or, as a Hebrew would understood the name vain, empty of meaning. So put it together, you're getting what he says here. God's instruction to his people is, don't carry my name in a way that's empty of meaning. Don't carry my name in a way that's empty of any meaning. And so it's true for us today. It's a powerful word and command to us to not carry his name in a way that's empty of meaning. Why? Because the name of God carries such hope. The name of uh, of God carries such power. And the name of God, and through him, comes uh, the sending of his son and comes salvation. It's a powerful thing that this name offers to us. And so we don't want to carry it as if it has no meaning at all. Every once in a while, I, I talk with somebody who's a suspect of Christianity. You ever have these conversations with somebody, maybe a little suspect of Christianity? And over the course of the conversation, uh, they always bring forth, or they want to bring forth, the question that they really would like to ask all Christians. And the question is this, is the world really better because of Christianity? Is it really better? That's what they want to know. And what they're really asking when they ask a question like this, they're like, tell me about the Crusades. Tell me about the Spanish Inquisition. Tell, tell me about these times in history where the church was involved with slavery. Tell me about these, these events. Tell me about these fundamentalist Christians out in the hills that, that we read these stories about and the violence. Tell me about this. How does this all make sense? And what they really want to know in that is, how is it that many of these things are carried out in the name of of God, is the world really better because of Christianity? Now, we don't have time this morning to work through all of these type of historical events, and and often much is misunderstood even about the starting of some of these historical events. The Crusades definitely would be one that I would encourage you as Christians to go study and see the real history and the beginning of it. But it can't be denied that there's these times in our history where we have gotten out of whack, that times in our, our history where even the name of God has been proclaimed in a way not suitable to God's word. When Martin Luther led Germany into the Reformation, the cleansing of really iconic worship at the time, that we found this great freedom for Christians to worship and to serve their Lord. And they were for the first time in Germany able to read God's word in their own language, part of the Reformation that Martin Luther led them into. 
But we also find that there was groups of, of Christians that took it way further. There was groups of Christians that took it to the point where even somebody wearing a Christian uh, uh, pendant or something like that was seen as, as somebody who needed to be dealt with. In fact, many times people were even killed for that. We find that they, they got so fanatical about anything that was iconic that even cathedrals and churches were burned down, sometimes with the doors locked and people in them. Probably not our finest hour. And those things done in the name of God. Now, we would say this morning, well, yeah, but that's not us. I mean, we're not, that's, that's not us. But things that were done in the name of God. In the 60s, in part of, uh, many parts of our country, you know, African Americans couldn't even take communion in churches. There's this story of a young Wesleyan Methodist pastor, part of our heritage here as a Wesleyan church. Right here in rural North Carolina, on his first Sunday, he stood to serve communion, stood on stage to serve communion, and there was a family in this church, a a black family, and they got up to get in line to receive communion. The elders of the church quickly got to the family and tried to usher them to the back, letting them know, you know, this is not for you. And the young pastor, he got off the stage, he walked straight to the back, first Sunday as pastor, and he held out the elements and he said, this is the body and blood of Christ for you. And he was fired. And he moved on to another church, not our finest hour. And we can all think of times and stories where somebody would take God's name out of context for their own gains or desires, or they even thought they were doing right and they just had it out of whack. So there's this question, our non-believing friends, they want to know, is the world really better because of Christianity? Uh, Do you know what I say when people ask me that? I say, absolutely. Despite those things, absolutely. And when you start to study the first century and the second century and the third century, and you start to see even before Christianity was a legal religion, even before Christianity was like a kingdom-embraced religion, we find that it was the church, it was Christians who were standing and carrying the name of God. And they were showcasing this in so many ways. When plagues would hit, guess who the first responders were? It was Christians. It was this underground church in the first centuries that was going to work. Kids who were sick were often just left on the side of the road abandoned. Guess who took them in? The church. Filled with kids. They became like orphanages. And it wasn't even an embraced religion at the time. Just in churches and house churches, really, at the time. And it's still that way today. The number one charitable, charitable organization in the world, bar none, is the church. Every time you hear about somebody giving millions of dollars, just know that a small city of 250,000 combined what the church is giving is well above whatever story you heard and was celebrated. The church is still incredibly generous today. So when people want to ask, is the world a better place because of Christianity? Absolutely, I want to say. Absolutely. And we can trace the history to back that up. All of this done in the name of God. So today, the God I wish we all knew is a God who entrusts us with his reputation. He entrusts us with his name. Now think about that for just a second. Is that the wisest business model for God to take us, this group right here, and say, I'm going to entrust my name to you. And when you go out and you 
do what you do and say what you say in your communities, in your jobs, in your families, my name, what is known of it, will be known through you. I don't know, maybe when I get to heaven, I want to sit down and talk to God about that and say, God, you know, maybe you weren't like really watching me my whole life, but uh, there was some things, you know, leading up to when you entrusted me that may have uh, not given you the most confidence if you uh, wanted to look at that. But that's what he does. He entrusts us to carry his name to our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our cities, our families, and to our school. And there's these moments when we hold that name and we hold it void of meaning, and that's, and that's what the commandment was getting at, that we carry the name in such a way that it shows the meaning. So how do we overcome this? I want to, in the, in the final few minutes, I just want to talk through a, a, a scripture here. Um, it's found in Acts chapter 3. It may be familiar to you, and uh, I want to encourage you uh, in this way. Acts chapter 3, Peter and Paul, two of the disciples, and at noon... Uh, excuse me, about three in the afternoon, they're going up to the temple to pray, and they go up to this gate called Beautiful. Um, well, let's, let's just actually read through it, and you'll see Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in a three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. So every day this man is brought to the gate, and every day he asks for charity. That's, that's what he does. In, in fact, it was a tough, tough world for you if you had some disability. And so this was his only really line of earning income here. His whole ability to survive was really based on the graciousness and the, the kindness of those going to the temple. So when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. It's kind of an interesting word from Peter and John here, this look at me. The, the man looks at them, and he's thinking he's going to get a handout of some kind. You know, culturally, uh, there was even an awkwardness for somebody with a disability who was begging to make eye contact with the person that they were asking charity from. And so Peter kind of violates culture right there just to say, look at me, look at me. And so this man looks, expecting a handout. Um, and let me stop there and just say this. Um, if you want to carry the name well, the name of God well, you've got to see the work of the kingdom all around you. You've got to have your head up and your eyes up, and you have to see the work of the kingdom Every day when you and I walk, away, walk around, there are people that need to know Jesus Christ. There's people that are suffering. There's people that are broken in life. There's people that are far from God. There's people that are angry with God. And God has said to you, go to them and say, hey, look at me. Let's look eye to eye and let's talk about this. So Peter and John, they're headed to the temple about three o'clock. It doesn't appear that they're rushing in to get, I mean, it appears that they have plenty of time they're not running late or anything like that, getting there on time. So they're not hanging out in the hallway, eating their donuts. I mean, they're right in, heading in there. So they're heading in, and they have this time to stop and see the work of the kingdom, to see the things that God wants them to be a part of all around. So here's an awesome part of the story. Uh, it's right in there what I said. Peter says, look at me. The guy looks right at him, and this is what he says to him. 
Peter says, I do not have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, this is significant here. The way he says what he says. Look, I don't have silver or gold to give you. Now, even carrying around silver or gold uh, back in Jesus' time there with Peter and John, that would have been a a significant uh, bounty to be carrying uh, around there. I don't have that for you. Peter's saying, look, I'm I'm not blessed with riches here. But what I do have, I'm going to give you. And he says this in the name of Jesus Christ, which actually means Yahweh saves. This name of Jesus, Yahweh saves. Jesus Christ, Christ is, uh, is like the word Messiah in Hebrew. Jesus, the one who saves, in his name, walk. You can, you can imagine, I mean, Peter and John, they're, they're walking up to this guy. Now they're lifting him up to his feet. And he stands there, and you can imagine, like, for the first few seconds, he was probably kind of wobbly feet, you know, Bambi style, and getting used to it. And before it dawned on him, and he realized, I can walk. I can walk. From then, I just expect it's full-on celebration, running around, excitement, that kind of thing. Why? In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Yahweh saves. Walk. It's powerful there. I mean, you can imagine you're going to the temple and this guy who you gave money to is like running around, right, screaming and worshiping. You're like, I just gave you like five bucks yesterday. I feel gypped, you know, here. So I ripped off. He's celebrating, he's, he's moving, and I imagine him just jumping and excited so much that he's causing this stir in this community. I, have, so I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that people who carry the name well are the people that proclaim the name well. They carry the name, they proclaim it. You see here, Peter and John, they said right away, look, we don't have enough to fix your situation. I don't have enough. The silver and gold, I can't fix everything you think you need. But in the name of Jesus Christ, in proclaiming the name of Yahweh saves, I can offer you hope. And in this case, I can offer you healing here. Remember when uh, David was going to go fight uh, the Goliath and, uh, and Saul says, hey, put on this armor and he puts on this like, armor that was way, way too big for David and, and I look like, you know, like when, when you were a kid and you tried to put on your parents' clothes or something and, and he goes out and David's just like, look, this isn't me. He takes it all off. He takes five little stones and he goes out and uh, to attack the giant here. And when he was being rebuffed by, by those standing around, remember what he says in 1 Samuel? The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. What is he doing is he is proclaiming the name of God. In the midst of this situation, in armor that's too big, and I just have five stones, but I'm pretty good with a sling, the name of God, the God, the Lord, he is the one I proclaim. And of course, you know the rest of the story. The giant ends up on the ground and, and he ends up with no head, right? This morning, I wanna, I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you, Wendover Hills, that we want to be a family of believers who proclaim the name of God, who proclaim it. Straightforward, boldly, we proclaim Jesus Christ and we proclaim the name of God. 
And that in that, God saying, I ask you to take my name, that this would be our finest hour in the lives of those people who don't know Jesus Christ, our coworkers, our neighbors, our families, and on and on, because we're carrying the name well. Now, I was watching this interview one time of this guy, Stephen Chow, and he is somebody who has really dedicated his life to evangelizing actors in Hollywood. That's got to be a, a tough gig, right? I mean, he just goes around trying to open up conversation with actors. And one time he's being interviewed, uh, and he was asked, he said, can't you share Jesus by how you live and cause some curiosity to why you're different? That's the question he was asking. It seems like a good question. I mean, a good thing. We need to live and be a strong witness with our life. But here's what he says in this answer, and I think this will stick with me forever. He said this, you can create a platform with your lifestyle, but the gospel is transferred when you use words. He's saying that to proclaim God's name, speak God's name, share with people about God, about the hope that we found in Jesus Christ, to share that. I think you do that best with anybody, not by preaching sermons or sharing every trivia you might know by God's word. There might be somebody that that, that connects with. I think you do it best in a simple way. You just use your, your story. It's like you're saying, look, I don't have silver or gold to offer you here, but what I do have to offer you is my, my story. In the name of God, I can tell you about how I was redeemed and saved. I can tell you about how my life is different because I let Jesus Christ come into it. I can tell you how my marriage is different when my wife and I or my husband and I started to, to really come together and follow God's principles and on and on and on. Your story is powerful. So a few weeks ago, we, for six weeks straight, we had this capital campaign, right, where I mean, we just pushed and talked about spiritual growth and letting God speak to us, and, and what it translated into for us was, was the giving, and we hit every benchmark we were after on the financial giving side, and we had great celebration at our Saturday night banquet and our Sunday morning service that followed that as well. But you know, like I know, that the real significance has nothing to do with the dollar. It has to do with the name of God proclaimed. And that there's no purpose in building a church so that you can go out of these steel chairs that you've grown to love so much and to get nice padded chairs. There's no purpose in going down there. There's no purpose in having a building that we don't have to set up. And, you know, we had a big crew here at 8.30 this morning to set up. There's no purpose in any of it if we don't proclaim the name of God well. And so this morning, Winover Hills, I want to challenge you, and, and I want to talk about for, for several weeks, I want to put before you that our challenge is, is no longer the, the dollars, though just to carry out the commitment we made financially, but the challenge here is that we would be part of carrying the name well, and I want to challenge you to do it in these two ways, and then I want to pray for you. Number one, I want you to start praying for every single person in your life that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can pray for every, you can rattle through 50 names of prayer. Pray for every single one. Can I tell you, uh, um, just because I, I'm going to trust he's probably not going to listen to this, but if he does, it's probably a good thing. But uh, my coach at the gym, we decided the other day, I was talking with him, and he said something that just kind of opened this little door to say something about 
about prayer. And I said, I want you to know, Rob, that my wife and I had decided we're going to pray for you every single day. We're going to pray for 20 new people to sign up. He had lost several members recently. 20 new members to sign up, and we're going to pray in such a way. I'm telling him this. He's an atheist. That we're going to pray in such a way that those 20 people would come in that it would be undeniably from God. And so we started praying. Can I tell you, like, I mean, what was that, like three days, four days ago? Two already popped in there in, in just a few days. And so we're just praying that direction. You can do it. Every single person that doesn't know Jesus Christ, start praying for them. Pray for their businesses. Pray for their marriage. You know, pray for their schooling. Pray for everything. Pray for their salvation as well. And then the second thing is, I want to challenge you to start inviting them. Start inviting. And you may say, well, gosh, Tom, I can't invite 50 people. You're probably right. But there's probably five or six that you can. And over the next three weeks especially, I'm focusing everything on the message-wise, focusing specifically to them. So for the next three weeks especially, I want to encourage you, as you're praying for them, go right into the invitation. Invite them to come join us. Do what you have to do. Hey, come on to church. We'll go out to lunch afterwards. They probably want to have lunch with you. And they'll probably come do church with you if they can have the lunch with you. Especially if you're buying, right? (laughs) So I want you to pray for every single person and invite several so we can proclaim the name well. Now, that's not the all in all to proclaiming God's name. It's just two I'm putting before you this morning. In your own devotion time, if God pops anything up he convicts your heart in, guess what? The moment God convicts your heart to do it, that's, that's a done deal. You gotta do it and follow it. So be in, be in devotion this week and pray however God wants you to proclaim his name. I wanna pray for you on this. I know it's a big deal. And, uh, and then we'll invite our praise team back up. Would you pray? Father, thank you uh, this morning Lord, for, for who's here that, to hear your word. And Father, I believe even in, in a group here this morning, Father, that you, you could use this group mightily. Father, there's some of us that the conviction of our heart this morning from your Holy Spirit just simply needs to be, I have to carry the name of God well. I'm being entrusted with something significant, so significant. In the same way that sometimes we think about honoring my family name or honoring the, the name of the team, the sports team that I might play on or be a part of or whatever, Father, even more so is it significant to carry your name well. It has eternal ramifications for those in our lives that don't know you as their Savior. And so this week, Lord, convict our hearts that way. If there be anything going on in their lives, Lord, that you this week are saying, hey, it's time to drop that, or it's time to add this, Father, would you speak boldly, and may our answer be yes. And then, Father, I want to pray for the two uh, that I've talked about, that we would begin now to be praying for every person in our life, every person that doesn't know you that we have contact with. May we start praying for them, lifting them up, And at very least, Lord, they know somebody is interceding on their behalf because if they don't know you, it's probably not them. We can do that, Lord. And then, Lord, even the the more bold step is to step out and to invite them, to invite them to come and to, to sit with us, to hear about the God that we have come to know and we have come to serve and that we are are so fulfilled with. And our hope and prayer is that we would see new testimonies of people who have boldly stepped forward to say, I now want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it will have started with the prayer and the invitation. Use this congregation in that way, we pray, Lord. 
In your son's name, amen. Well, amen. I appreciate you letting me uh, share with you this morning. And, and we go right into it next week. The God I wish you knew loves unconditionally. That's the focus. So we pray you would uh, invite and we'd fill up these chairs next week. So we're going to take our, our tithes and our offering. And uh, we're going to invite our ushers to come forth. If there's anything you needed to communicate with us on your card, maybe a prayer request, just write it in there. As the ushers come, that's the place to drop it into. And we pray every week for those things. We take them uh, pretty serious. So we'll invite our ushers to come, and why don't you stand with us, and, and we'll finish this off singing.